Turn with me, if you will, to John. And what I'm going to do at this time is um, so many of us were, were gone last week. And uh, I reached out to Wes and I asked him to fill in last week, uh, which he gladly did. And I said, you can either do uh, the same thing I tell everyone who gets up and ministers. You can either do, you know, continue where we're at in John or you can preach on whatever the Lord has in your heart. And it was on his heart to continue in John chapter nine. Um, I, I, by way of announcement too, my, I think my dad's coming the second weekend of November. And so be here for that service. If you've never heard my dad preach, he's a, he's a prof- He's a fiery, prophetic man of God, and the Lord will definitely use him that day. Um, if you have heard him preach before, you know what a treat it will be that day. Um, but last week, Wes chose to speak in John chapter 9. Um, the problem is this whole Bible kind of goes together. Like it's not just in isolation. All of it's together together. And so I was looking at starting in John 10 today. I was like, I can't do John 10 without doing more of John 9. And I was like, well, I don't need to do John 9. I'm going to have Wes do John 9. And so I'm going to have come, Wes come and, and take, take his time, take his liberty. We're not in a hurry, apparently, because there's food right here. So um, he can re-preach the whole sermon if he, if he wants. And then I can just not preach at all, maybe. We'll see how it goes. But I'm going to have him come and share whatever's on his heart to share from John 9 and deliver what the Lord is speaking to him. And take your time and take your liberty, and then we'll see where we want to go from there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in a hurry. So. <laughs> Thanks, Robert. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, like, like Drew was saying, especially this portion of John, it kind of all flows together chapter after chapter. It's almost like we see, we see different pieces of the story of the life of Jesus, and this is almost like a day in the life of Jesus. Like it just kind of flows together because it's all one story, especially from about chapter 7 to 11. <laughs> It's kind of one story, just one time after the other, after the other, after the other. So we're just going to try and cover real quick. And here's the problem. I don't make notes. So it's going to be like a new last Sunday, this Sunday kind of deal. But I I do want to touch on something, and it's actually part of what I talked about last week. Um, We talked about, or we sung a lot about, He is great and greatly to be praised. Right? We sung about him being worthy. And I want to read just a little portion of why he's worthy. Like this is not an all-encompassing, this is why he's worthy. This is just one little piece of why he's worthy. And it's in Hebrews 4. If you want to turn there, that's fine. It's going to be uh, verse 14, chapter 4, 14. We're just going to touch a little bit of this. Uh, It talks about Jesus being our high priest Now, there's a lot more to Jesus being our high priest that we probably don't have time for this morning. But it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And this is very important right here. 
He says, or it says here, For we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. This is because he became a man. Like, like we hold Jesus high, and we should. But we almost hold him higher than what he wanted us to see. Like he laid down his godliness in heaven, and he chose to become a man to redeem what man lost. Does that make sense? All right, so... He done that bearing all of the weaknesses of the flesh. He chose to leave heaven and come here, and he didn't take any shortcuts. He was in the womb of a woman for nine months, traveled through her birth canal. She had to change his diapers. The God of the universe became flesh and was totally dependent on his mother on Mary, the woman. She had to feed him. She had to take care of him. She had to change his dirty diapers. He had to learn how to crawl, how to speak, how to walk. He took every step and every phase of life that we go through as a man. Yes, he's Jesus. Yes, he's fully God and he's fully man. I don't, I mean, how do you break that apart? Other than he showed us in the flesh that he went through everything we go through. And it even says here, it says, it says that we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted in everything. Everything that we come up. He may not have had the internet back then, doesn't matter. The principles are the same. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted, which had to do with John 9 last week when we were talking about it. Um, let me flip back over there. We'll, we're going to start in the last verse of 8. Just to show you, this is all one story. Jesus was just in chapter 8, John chapter 8. <clears throat> he was, uh, they were going to kill him because he, he, he equaled himself with God. Right? Drew told us the history of that. The words where he says... Before Abraham was, I am, he then called himself God at that moment, but he was still flesh and he was still a man and he was still tempted at every point that we have been tempted and are going to be tempted with. So in this, he, he, he says that, then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. That's the last of, of chapter 8. First thing they say in chapter 9 now as Jesus passed by. So he was passing by. Now as he passed by, he sees this man that was born blind. Now Jesus had every opportunity that we have right there in that moment to say, I should probably not stir up any more trouble. You know, I think I've done enough. I think I've made my presence known. I don't really need to mess with this guy. I'm just going to keep going. Or he could have fell into fear like we all too often do and said, man, I am so terrified right now that I better not stir up any more trouble because if I do, they're surely going to come and kill me before my time. He knew he was going to die. He knew how he was going to die. That was not a thing. He had no fear of that. But he had the opportunity to fear, to second guess, to doubt, to be condemned, to have guilt, to have shame. 
All of these things he had the ability to do because he became flesh, but he did not fall into any of those temptations. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, we're good. We're tracking. I like head nods. I like saying yes and amens. I, if you got a question, throw it at us. I don't care. I, I want to make sure you're engaged with this thing right now because it is so important that we understand that we can live apart from these temptations like Jesus did because we have salvation. We have born again. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. If you've been saved, you've been born again, you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you have everything that Jesus had. You can't be Jesus. There's only one Jesus. We're not questioning that at all. Nobody else can be Jesus. But He demonstrated in His life how we were always supposed to live. Adam was not supposed to eat the fruit, but Adam had the free will to do so. And when he did, he gave over dominion of this earth to Satan. Jesus came as a man to redeem everything Adam lost. So he had to walk through every temptation that Adam had thrown at him. But he did it without sin. Adam failed. Jesus didn't. Walked the same life, walked in the same way, had the same opportunity to sin. Like, like maybe this is challenging some people. Jesus could have sinned if he wanted to, if he had so chose. He had the ability to sin because he was flesh. Only he didn't because he came to redeem everything that Adam had lost. Amen. I like that. Yes. So Jesus' life is actually the example of how Adam was always supposed to walk this thing out. Jesus' life is the example that we're supposed to walk in now. Everything that he did, we have the ability to do now through salvation, through his Holy Spirit. If you're not born again, it's a different story. Born again, you got everything. You have, he went, he went in to the grave. What happened in those days, the three days he was in, I, like I don't know if he waited till the last day. I don't know if it was the first day. I don't know how all that worked out. But he went and he took back dominion. He took back the keys. He took back the authority. He took back everything in those days. And now he has transferred that to us because he lives in us. Yeah? Good. So, Jesus sees this man, had the opportunity to just pass him by and not help him. But he is struck with the compassion that we're all supposed to be struck with. Seeing someone in need, someone that needs help, someone that needs healing, and instead of having the answer and walking on by them, he had the answer and he went to him. His disciples were even still living in that mindset of the fallen man. And the first thing they wanted to do was judge this blind man. Who sinned? Who sinned? His parents or him? I don't know how you can sin in the womb. Oh, I don't know. I don't get that. I don't know why they even said that. But who sinned? His parents or him? Jesus says, neither. It's just 
one of those things that happens through the law of sin and death. Right? Because this is before Jesus. We're not under the new law of grace and liberty with Jesus here. This is under the law of sin and death. This is one of those things. It's a product of that fallen mindset. So Jesus says, like, neither this man nor his parents sin. But, and we read this, I think, my opinion, we read this all wrong. And we make out some kind of doctrine that this man was born blind just for this one purpose that Jesus could come by and heal him and show his power and authority. I don't think we read that right. I think he was saying in a different way. Let's just read it a different way. It says, neither this man nor his parents sin. But that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. He's like, I got work to do. I was sent here for one purpose, one reason, and that is to demonstrate. Demonstrate the power of God, the will of God. Not just that, but the heart of God. The compassion that He has, the love that He has. He, he created us. Uh, as He created man, it was so thoughtful. And He has so much intention, so much understanding. So much of just divine creativeness went into us as people. And He was coming to redeem everything back to God. So when he's saying this, he's like, I have work to do. So he goes and he spits on the ground, makes clay, and puts it on the man's eyes. I shared this last week. Some theologians, which, just theologians, they think that uh, he, the man that was born blind did not have eyeballs. So by creating uh, clay from the spit, from the ground, we're clay, we're dirt, we're dust. They are saying he was creating eyeballs in that moment for the man. I don't know. Go study it out. Come tell me what you find. That's what theologians say, and it's amazing. All I know is the man was born blind, but Jesus did this. He went and washed in the pool, and now he can see. Amen. Praise God he can see. Now in this moment, we got, and, and look, <clears throat> think about the blind man here for a minute. The blind man has never seen anything, never seen the light of day, never seen God's creation, never seen a person. He has no idea what he even looks like. Like he may have some kind of mental picture, right? Filling people's faces, you know, his mom and dad, I'm sure he did some of that stuff to understand who they are. He had a real keen sense of voices, I'm sure, and sounds. And so, but now he's able to put picture to that. He's able to see those things. Can you imagine? He washes in the pool and he looks up and he sees all these massive things that God has created that men have built. He sees that the sky is this beautiful blue. He sees the green of the trees or the plants or whatever. And in this moment, can you imagine the awe? Like I've never been able to see. I remember when I got saved. It was like I couldn't see before. But then God came. He did whatever He does. And I could see. And I could see clear. I was a kid, but I could see clearly. Right? Can you imagine the same moment? This man, God has touched him in a massive way. It, it might be the Holy Spirit. Go check it. <laughs> It was, it was a total joke. <clears throat> but this man can see now. And people are like questioning what has happened. Is this him? 
It looks like him. It could be him. It kind of favors him. And he's like, no, no, no. It's me. We read the story like he says, oh, no, it's me. You know what I'm saying? Like we read through these things so quick sometimes that it's just a, it's just a pretty story. So we read through and we're like, the guy's like, oh, no, it's, it's, it's me. I was the guy that's blind. That was, that was me. No. He's like, no. It was me. I was blind. I was born this way. Blind, but now I see you. I see your face. I see the creations. He was excited. And the people, the first thing they do was like, hey, we got to take him to the Pharisees. We don't know about this. So the Pharisees, they take him to him. The Pharisees ask for his story time and time and time and time and time again. They're asking this guy the story. They still don't believe him. So they call for his parents. Take a second right here, parents. Their child was born blind. He is now healed and can see. And the very first time he's seeing them is in the midst, and I'm just being real, it's in the midst of ugly religion. And these people are questioning a miracle from God. And they can't believe it, so they're getting his parents. And his parents are so fearful for being just kicked out of everything that they hold dear and what they believe. His parents are so in fear of that that they can't even celebrate their child being healed. Now, by what they say and, and culture and how it goes, I'm assuming that this man was around 30 years old when he was healed because his parents say, we know this is our son. We know he was born blind. But how he sees, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. Of age puts him about 30 years old because of culture, right? But they can't celebrate with their son who was born blind and now can see because the ugliness of religion has them in so much fear and bondage that they can't just go and celebrate with him in this moment. So, so they go on. They ask the story again. Now, here's where I'm thinking this guy has probably been judged hundreds of times. We see it in the first when the disciples judge him right off the bat. Who sinned? He, he's probably been judged time after time. He's probably been made fun of. He's probably been talked about. He's probably been shoved around. He's probably been just forgotten and not seen and passed by so many times that he's kind of coarse and harsh and he understands the ugliness of people without even ever seeing it with his visible eyes, right? And they keep questioning him and they won't believe anything and then he gets, he gets snappy. He gets snappy with them, which I, I like it because he's firing back at them and he's, he's uncovering the ugliness of, of what they're saying. And, and he says... Or they say, they called him again and said, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now here's, here's a beautiful thing that, that I see. And, and this happened the Friday before last Sunday. Uh, I, I, <clears throat> we worship at home. We put on worship music. We put on messages. And we just sit and give God time. I know everybody doesn't have that luxury, so don't be condemned. We have that luxury because we work from home and we don't have children at home with us, so we have the ability and the time to do more of that probably than, than normal. So we're, I ate lunch 
Mexico El Lindo on Friday for lunch. It was great. And uh, so I'm, I'm standing in the living room and I'm listening to worship and uh, they start singing this song and it's, it's they're singing Isaiah 61 and they're saying the good father is exchanging these things for you. Like, like beauty and I'll take your ashes. Like here's joy and I'll take your mourning. And they're singing this stuff, right? And it was beautiful. And I'm like, oh man, Jesus, that's just so good. And so I'm, I'm worshiping there. And, and, and the Lord, in, in all His just beauty, He comes into my living room. And the tangible presence of God comes over me. And I'm just weeping. And it's like waves. It's like waves of compassion for people. Because I'm seeing these people go through this line for prayer and to relieve these things. And we're in, a, we're in a midst of a, a time that people are hurting. People have issues and troubles, and it's life and death stuff. And it's nothing to be scoffed at at all. And so the compassion of God hits me in that moment, and, and I'm seeing these people go through. And so it's waves of compassion, and I'm just crying. And then I'm laughing because of joy, and I'm crying because of compassion, and I'm laughing because of joy. And so this moment comes, and it's so beautiful, and I'm just in there by myself. Vanessa's in the office, and she's working, and she comes out for a second, and she sees me just crying, and so she knows what's happening, and uh, it's just a beautiful moment. My point with all that is, you can't take that from me. I don't care if you were there or not. I don't care if you believe me or not. I don't care if you question it or not. None of that bothers me because the moment happened to me. Right. And you cannot take that from me. Amen. You cannot take that from me. I was visited by the Lord. I felt His tangible presence. Amen. It was a beautiful thing. So this man, he's coming down to this point, and this is the same thing. I'm just trying to help you relate here. He says, whether this man's a sinner or not, I don't know. The one thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. You can't take that from him. They're trying their best to get him to just say, oh no, whatever, you know, comply with whatever they're saying. And he refuses because he's been touched by the Lord. And you cannot take that from him. This is his moment. You cannot take this from him. He doesn't care how they feel about Jesus. It's not his job to judge even who Jesus is. He is coming into this time and they're saying, like, this man's a sinner, this man's that. This, they're like, I don't know. Here's what I do know. He touched me and I'm healed. Yeah. That's end of story. That's all I can tell you. And it goes on and they come down to the end and Jesus hears. So after he gets snippy with them, they, they kick him out of the synagogue. It's like, you're done, get out, you're exercised, yeah, and so, whatever it is. And so there, he's kicked out, can't come back anymore. And this is things that, that the Jewish people really hold dear. The synagogue time, their time of worship, their time of prayer, all of these things. And he's like, can no longer come into that. So he's kicked out. Then Jesus hears about this. It's so good. It's so beautiful. Take a minute and just think about how intentional God is. How intentional Jesus is. He hears that they have done this to Him. And it's a shame and an embarrassment and everything you can think of bad to be kicked out of synagogue if you're Jewish. 
And so Jesus, he's Jesus. And he goes to look for him. And he finds him. And he says, uh, <clears throat> he says, do you believe, this is in verse 35, he says, do you believe in the Son of God? And they answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, it's so beautiful. Think about this for just a second. You have both seen him. Get it? He's been healed. He can see. He's like, you've both seen him, and it is he who's talking with you. And he said, Lord, like this all comes down to the moment that God visited him and touched him and changed his life forever. And he says, he doesn't say, Lord, I believe. That's not what he said. I, like, like we don't have, like I know it's in writing, so they put some exclamation points behind it. But we read through it so quick, we don't realize this man's life has changed. My life has changed because he visited me. My life has changed because he touched me. This man doesn't say, Lord, I believe. I think he's on his knees and he's crying. He says, Lord, I believe. I believe. I know what's happened to me and nobody can take that away. You have touched me. I am healed. I believe. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Then we come into, in this moment, Jesus, he says, For judgment I have come into the world, that those who do not see may see. And he's kind of changing right here from a physical to a spiritual moment. So he's changing from what's been happening in the physical, and he's turning it into a spiritual moment moment to teach these people who he is who god is because they have honestly a wrong view of who god is because they forgot all about the heart of god all right and they're all just trying to work this thing they're trying to look good in public they're trying to walk the walk talk the talk but their heart never change and that's not the intention of god the intention of god is to change your heart to change your mindset to change how you see everything because we came up seeing it wrong. And we can only see it right through Jesus. So in this moment, Jesus is saying, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees, this is interesting, the Pharisees were hanging around with Jesus uh, for a couple of things. I think they were, some of them I think were probably interested in what he was saying, and some of them were just purely there to judge every word that came out of his mouth and to try and catch him into something. We, we learned that through Scripture. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. You may have a different view of, of how I see this as he's talking about their self-righteousness. That's how I see it. Because they're trying to look righteous. They're saying, we see because we're Pharisees and we walk and we have our beautiful robes and you can tell us apart from everybody else by how we dress, by how we control ourselves, by how we maintain ourselves. Because we won't look over here at you. We look up at the sky maybe. I don't know what they did. They, I know that they thought they were holier than everybody else, so they didn't take time to see people. 
Jesus was God in the flesh and took every time to see people. We, let's just be real, we get so wrapped up in ourselves that we're walking through the world and we don't see people. We don't see their hurt. We don't see their pain. We don't see the trouble they're in. We don't see the scenarios, the situations, everything that's going on in people's life because we're so wrapped up in ourselves and we're okay. I mean, I'm saved. I'm going to go to heaven. I go to church. I pay my tithes. I do all these great things. Oh, wait a minute. That sounds just like the Pharisees. It's the ugliness of religion that this man was exposed to in the greatest moment of his life. The greatest moment of his life. He is able to see when he could never see before. And in that moment, the ugliness of self-righteous religion is in his face. We need to beware that we don't fall into that same trap. Because we need to be able to see when people are hurting because we have the answer. Yeah? Don't be condemned right now. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. If you've done that, oops, forgive me, Jesus. Teach me now to walk how you walked. Don't be discouraged. Don't be condemned. Be encouraged. Convicted? Fine. Be convicted. Conviction brings truth and life. Condemnation brings death. Be convicted. Think this thing out. Don't just pass by because you, professing to be born again, spirit-filled believers in God Almighty, then you have the answer. I don't care if you've lived it, haven't lived it. You have the answer. The answer lives in you. So let's not get hung up in religion. Let's not get hung up in trying to live right and look right. Let's be stricken with the compassion of God, having the answer and the spirit of Jesus Christ in us. Let's see people in their moments and give them hope. Give them help. Give them prayer. Give them the same things that Jesus walked out in his life. Amen? Amen. Praise God. I'll be, I'll be quick. Robert, can you come? Because um, as we look at John chapter 10, I'm going to be r- r- real clear on this. John chapter 10 is simply the altar call for John chapter 7, 8, and 9. The beginning of John 10 is the altar call. And so this is a perfect segue. All I'm doing is giving the altar call that Jesus gave. Remember that this whole time, as Wes was saying, this is the, the feast of the booze, of tabernacles, these tents that everyone's camping out for a week. And during this time, some crazy stuff has happened. Like they're pouring out water to show, like to remember the time that Je- the Lord gave them water in the wilderness. And so Jesus says, I am the living water. And they're lighting torches to show that, remember the time the Lord guided us in the wilderness with the pillar of fire. And Jesus says, well, I I am the light of the world. And, And Jesus is calling his shot. 
If you go back to the very beginning of John, and, and what you got to realize, like, John 7, 8, 9, 10, into 11, like, we're coming up on the end of this thing. By the time you get to chapter 11, which is where we're headed, like, you're in the last two weeks of Jesus' earthly ministry. Like, we're, we're at the end of this, and we're only halfway through the book, but we're already at the end. So here's Jesus giving this last altar call. If you go back to the beginning, how did it all start? It all started with, with John preparing the way for Jesus. Can you say the way? What, John said, no, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. I'm just simply the voice crying in the wilderness. Get ready. Get the way ready because he's coming. And his disciples heard it. Like John's disciples heard him. And they were like, so he's the way? And they just start following Jesus around. And other men and women start gathering to Jesus. And wherever he goes, they go. They, they say, can I follow? And yeah, you come follow. And other, they grab other people. Hey, come, come, come with us. We found the Messiah. And he leads the way. Say the way. In John chapter 6, like Jesus is starting to tell them truth. Like, remember, he feeds the 5,000 with the bread. And then he's saying, like, like, my words are actually the bread. My words are actually the life. Like, you're looking for everything, every other place. But I am actually the life, and my words are actually the truth. And when he starts talking this way about his words being eternal life and that you need to eat my body and drink my blood, everyone runs away. And he turns to his disciples and John chapter 6, he said, are you going to leave as well? And in verse 68, Simon Peter says to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Like, like what other way are we going to follow, Jesus? You're all we have, and this echoes the point of the entire book, which we've read several times now. The whole reason John wrote this. He says, but these things are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We sang about his name today, didn't we? You may have life. Could you say life? Like, this whole thing is so we can believe in Jesus' name and have life. And, and that's what we see in John chapter 9 with this blind man. He's like, I, listen, you could throw your religion at me all day long, but I've seen him and I know what I've seen. And people start accusing Jesus during this festival of leading people astray. And the wrong way. It's all about this way. So in John 10, here's what Jesus says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. And, and remember, he's talking to these Pharisees that have just seen a blind man healed. It's at the end of the festival now. All the things have happened. Everyone's about to go home. 
And Jesus heals a blind man, and the Pharisees just get angry about it, as we heard. So Jesus looks at them and says to these Pharisees who can't handle it, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by the shepherd of the sheep, to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought them out, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of the stranger. And says, this is the figure of speech Jesus is doing. This is the closest thing we're going to get to a parable in the book of John. This figure of speech. And, and, and here's, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying like, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. He says to them again, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. Like, here's what's crazy. If we, if we reach back into chapter 7, he starts saying these things like, where I'm going, you can't come. He's saying this to the Pharisees. Where I'm going, you can't follow. And we're actually going to see this over again in chapter 8 and in chapter 14. It's like, it's going to happen over and over again. He's going to keep saying, where I'm going, you can't come. Until we actually get to John 14, if you can skip over there. He makes a different statement, and I'm, I'm ruining it. Like, I'm ruining, I'm skipping to the end on this one. But over chapter 7, 8. As we skip through, you're going to hear a lot like, where I'm going, you can't come. You don't know the way. You can't come. You don't. What's the way? And then he's sitting down at this last meal. This is the last supper with his disciples in chapter 14. And he makes this statement in verse 4. He says, and you know the way where I'm going. And you have to imagine they've, they've been hearing about this way, this way, this door, this way for so long now. And Thomas, he's finally had enough. Like, what is going on? So he pipes up and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You keep talking about it. We hear you say it to the Pharisees all the time that they don't know the way. Now you're telling us we do. Like, what is the way? And Jesus says to him, and you know this all too well, he says, I am the way and the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and guess what? You have seen him. Like if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. How intensely powerful is that? And that's like this morning as we were singing, I was like, that just came 
crashing over me like, Lord, I just want to see you. I just want to see you so I can have seen the Father. And, and Jesus, he's telling me, like, you've seen me, Drew. You've seen me. Like, maybe I haven't seen his flesh and blood, but I've seen him. And I'm in a group of people who have seen him, who have seen Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the door. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. Thieves are those who sneak in, right? And robbers are those who come in by force and try to take things away. Either way, by being sneaky or being forceful, it's not right. All the other people pretending to be a, a Messiah or saying this way. And isn't that like what we look for in our lives, like escapes in other ways? Like even today, maybe, maybe we're not attached to the Jewish religion like they were then. But we have our own things that we, we run after and we grab for. We think, oh, this is the way. This will make me feel better. I'm stressed out, so if I reach for this one thing, it'll make me feel better. Or I'm angry, so I'm going to do this one thing, and we reach for the wrong things. And guess what? It just robs us. It just robs us of peace. It robs us of joy. We think it helps. And it doesn't. Jesus is looking at these Pharisees and he says, I am the door and anyone who enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. And he says this in verse 10 and, and it goes back to that question, about the blind man. They said about the blind man, well, who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents that he was born blind? It just shows their ignorance, right? The whole situation. And verse 10 is a little bit of an answer to that. Verse 10 tells us this. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy. And, and can I tell you, like, I, I did some research on these words. All of them mean what they say, right? That's, in the original Greek, to steal means to steal. And to kill means to kill. And destroy means to kill. But actually, like, I was looking at it, to, to kill means to, like, slaughter. Like, it's like what you do with an animal, to slaughter. And des destroy isn't just like, des destroy means like utterly destroy. And what we don't realize sometimes is that we actually have an enemy that wants to steal from us, kill us, and destroy us. And then when that happens to us, we blame God. Like, how strange is it that God heals a man from being blind and the response to the religious crowd is, get out. So God does a miracle, and religion says, get out. But then the enemy does something that's stealing and killing and destroying. And we say, why God? Why'd you do that? So when God does something great, we blame the enemy. But when, God does some, like when the enemy does something awful, we blame God. We somehow pretend like we're somehow better than God. Like, well, why would God let something bad happen? And, and let me say this morning, 
I know I'm sitting in a room of people who have gone through some stuff in life, who have gone some, through some hurt and some heartache and some moments where you question God and say, why did this happen to me? But I'm going to tell you right now, it wasn't God that was doing that to you. It's the enemy, it's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. All we can do is trust the sovereignty of God. We, we cannot for a moment pretend that we're more righteous from God. Like, why does God allow evil to happen? My question is always, why do you allow evil to happen? Like, this morning, how many know that there's orphans starving in Africa? Anyone know that this morning? All of us know it this morning? Then why aren't we all like selling half our wardrobe, canceling all our Disney Plus and Netflix subscriptions, selling our TV, getting rid of our couches, and selling it and donating it to orphanages in Africa? See, we know evil's happening. We do nothing about it. And then we want to say, well, why doesn't God do something about it? Like we're somehow better than God. We're not. God is a good father. And he loves us. He is sovereign. And what we're going to find out when we see the story of Lazarus, you guys know Lazarus, like when we hurt, the Lord hurts. When Lazarus died, Jesus wept. His heart hurt and the pain that you've gone through that the enemy has put you through the Lord sees it and he knows it and he hurts with you as Wes was saying earlier we we have a a God who can sympathize with our weakness he was tempted in every way we were he hurt every way we hurt he knows what it's like to walk through what we've walked through And we have an enemy that's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Can I tell you guys, like from my heart, like the next verse it says, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Like that's Jesus. Anything that's life, that's good. He's the good shepherd. Anything is you being brought into provision and pasture. That's the Lord. And can I tell you for me, like in a time in my life where I felt the enemy, like wanting to steal, kill and destroy me. Like I'm thankful for this body that surrounded me and said, no, we're going to be Jesus for you and be that life and life more abundantly for you. And you guys have been that for one another through difficult moments. Like, I praise God every time someone's going through a hard time and they pick up the phone to call me and I get a chance to walk with them through a difficulty because I see the enemies coming at them to steal, kill, and destroy and I have the opportunity to be life and life more abundantly to that person. I can be Jesus to them. But it's not Drew. It's not F-Hop. It's Jesus. And and. As we go through this, he talks about there's hired hands and hired hands, they won't die for the sheep. Only the shepherd will die for the sheep. And we, we must realize that Jesus is the only door. Like students, listen to me. If you're a young person in this place and you've grown up in church, your parents aren't the door. This church isn't the door. Jesus is the door. And some of us, we, we try to make other people the door. And 
in a good way or bad way. Sometimes we're like, well, if I can just be like them, I'll be more like Jesus. Which is good. You should try to be like someone who's like Jesus, but they're not the door. But some of you use that as an excuse to not come to Christ. You use your pastor, your youth pastor, like, well, I don't care for them. Or maybe it's your spouse or someone else that's supposed to be Jesus. And, well, I don't like what they're doing, so I'm just going to kind of push away and step away. They're not the door. They're not the gatekeeper. It's Jesus. It's all just Jesus, and there's no excuse. And that's what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, is there's no excuse. I'm the door. I'm the gatekeeper. It's just about me. He talks about calling the Gentiles. He said, I have sheep from another fold. I'm going to bring them in. He's talking about the Gentiles, the non-Jews. What I love here, he says, they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock and one shepherd. Say one. There's only one door. There's only one flock. There's only one shepherd. Anyone who trusts in Christ are part of our flock. I know we're forerunner house of prayer. But anyone who trusts in Christ, that believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, they're part of our flock, guys. They're part of us. And then Jesus makes this great statement at the end. He says, no one takes my life from me. As Wes was saying earlier, I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to take it up again. Like Jesus is saying, I will die because I allow myself to die. But then I will take up my life again. I will raise myself from the dead. And I'm looking across this room and no one in this room has that authority. Like all of us, when we die, we will die. But only Jesus had the authority then to take up his life again. And there's victory in that for all of us. That, that's the amazing thing. Like the victory that comes through Jesus Christ is that his authority and his power to take up his life again and give us that same newness of life. How amazing a power is that? I, I wish I could have the power to bring people back to life. But any power I only have is only through Jesus Christ. So the way this passage ends is simply this. It says, it just divided them again. We can't pretend that the words of Jesus are always bring peace. I, I saw a bumper sticker that said, Jesus brings peace. And I would respond to that sometimes. Sometimes his words stir up things. Sometimes it stirs up things in me. says there were divisions at the words of Jesus and some said he has a demon or he is insane why listen to him and others said these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon can a demon open the eyes of the blind will you stand with me as we end service today Will you just close your eyes and 
I just want you to think to yourself. The question you should ask yourself this morning, and I, even, even if you feel good about life and your relationship with the Lord, ask yourself this question, do I see? Do I see? Has the Lord opened my eyes? Or am I still spiritually blind? Well, how would I know if I'm spiritually blind? Do you keep trying to find satisfaction in life through another way? Is it through your hobbies? Relationships? What are you using that's not Jesus to make your life feel full of satisfaction and life and hope? And if the answer is anything but Jesus, then it's time. It's time to say to yourself, I've, I've, been trying to, I've been trying to go at this through some other way. That's not, it's not the gate. I need to follow the shepherd. So let's just say this. You've been presented with the truth this morning. What is your response to that truth? Do you, do you want to make a change? Do you want to uh, take a step into faith? Like, like think about whatever's going on. You've been presented with the truth of who your God is. You've been presented with the truth, the answer Everything that you could possibly be going through in this room, the answer's been presented to you. So we want to give you some time, just a few minutes, and you respond to that truth. If you need somebody to pray with you, grab somebody. Grab some of our leadership. Whatever that response is, let's give you just a few minutes, and you respond to the truth that you've heard this morning.